Hello and welcome to the Voices from the Land, Indigenous Peoples Talk Language Revitalization Podcast, produced by the Legacy of Hope Foundation. Tansi, I'm your host, Gordon Spence from the Tasquia Cree Nation in Northern Manitoba. I'm also the Indigenous Community Facilitator for the Legacy of Hope Foundation. Today I am joined by my colleague and co-host, Andrew Bomberry, a Mohawk from the Six Nations of the Grand River Territory. Andrew is a curriculum developer, writer, researcher, and teacher. Welcome. As part of the Legacy of Hope Foundation's mandate and mission, we are working to promote indigenous language revitalization as a critical step in the healing of generations of survivors and their communities from colonial policies and practices, which robbed indigenous peoples of their first language. The goal of this project is to help support Indigenous language reclamation through interviews with Indigenous language teaching experts. The target audience for this work are Indigenous language teachers. We hope that by sharing accessible podcasts of the interviews with people doing interesting and relevant work on language promotion, we can help facilitate the sharing of knowledge ideas and practices that are relevant to the teaching and learning of indigenous languages. While there are many contexts that are particular to specific nations and dialects within their regions, we are hoping to provide additional tools and a platform that can help with the indigenous language revitalization. Despite the many differences, our guest today is Kevin Lewis. Kevin Lewis is a longtime advocate, instructor, curriculum developer and researcher working on Indigenous language revitalization. Kevin researched and developed the Indigenous Language Certificate Program for the Faculty of Education at the University of Saskatchewan. This program is for teachers wanting to improve their knowledge of language and Indigenous methodologies to become better teachers of Indigenous languages. Kevin also teaches at the Kanayasik Cultural Camp which has a variety of language and culture-based programs and workshops to support Cree language and culture revitalization. Kevin also works as an instructor with Outward Bound Canada, where he teaches two modules. These are one, land-based Indigenous programs for teachers, and two, winter camping with the Dread Dogs. Welcome, Kevin, and how are you doing today? Oh, uh, greetings, Gordon and Andrew, and thank you for reaching out and your organization. Thank you for that, you know, the background information to that, because I think this work is coming in the spotlight, you know, and it, it's sort of like a, a long time awaiting. These are the mandates of the, a lot of our ancestors not to lose our languages, our cultural ways and understanding, ways of being, identity, you know, culture, our, our ways to pray, our medicines and those, those sacred places, you know, that we need to visit and keep visiting, especially the, the elders, you know, to, to privilege our elders and what they stand for. So I thank you for that, you know. Uh, but over here in northern Saskatchewan and Minnesotan Cree Nation here, it's uh, finally nice and warm. Uh, we, we survived the deep freeze and hopefully you guys have good weather over there as well. Yeah, well, it's been snowing here in Ottawa for the last week, so we got tons of snow. <laughs> Uh, I managed to get the plus five where I am. Yes, it's warm in Andrew's territory. Andrew's out, out of uh, works out of Toronto, but he works for the oh, yeah. Foundation. Yeah. One of the, you know, as you know, that language has become a, 
a hot topic for Indigenous people in, in recent years. And this actually, this decade is by the United Nations was declared a decade of Indigenous languages, 2021 to 2031. I know that from my experience in talking to people throughout Canada, there seems to be a revival of an, an urgency, a need, a desire for Aboriginal people to, uh, especially the elders, leaders, uh, concerned that we revitalize our languages and our culture. So I've been noticing that a lot of people are going back to their roots, back to the land and uh, relearning or learning more about their, their culture and uh, language especially is just as important. It's actually more important, I think, in many ways. Uh, knowing your Indigenous language is really having a real insight into your culture. So maybe uh, we can start by uh, talking about a bit about what you do. you got an interesting background, Kevin. Uh, maybe you can uh, begin with the program, the Indigenous Language Certificate program that developed, you developed for the Faculty of Education at the University of Saskatchewan. Can you talk a bit about that and then we'll just, we'll just proceed from there? Andrew will have a bunch of questions for you, so, and I'll have uh, a few. Oh, yeah. Oh, oh yeah. You got to go to the Nanaska one, but I assume in a year ago, you will go to the Nanaska one, and I'll go to the Nanaska one, so first off, I thank uh, the creator for all of us getting together like this and for also your work in this. And I said that in the Cree language. And, uh, you know, I say that uh, because my first language is Cree, I'm really I know that it's sort of like a gift in itself. Uh, not everybody got to see or experience having a first language as a, as our Indigenous language, you know. Again, historical impacts, we're, we'll probably talk a little bit about that, but also sort of like the healing that's happening on Turtle Island and then as well as sort of learning off of our relatives all over the world, like the Maori, the Hawaiians, even South America. The southern hemisphere all the work that they're doing you know so hopefully we can touch a little bit about that but i guess the backgrounder would be um the indigenous language certificate and i'm really happy that you know that we we have a podcast like this to talk about sort of like the best practices like like you had said so in the beginning i guess about uh six or seven years ago chris scribe he was the director of itap indian teacher education program at the u of s he stopped me and I was in transition from Manitoba going back to Alberta. And he stopped me in transition with tobacco steam out. And he said, would you be able to write a language program for us for the college education? And I had spent probably a decade, maybe over a decade before that with Blue Quills First Nations College as the coordinator for their language certificate. But they also developed a diploma program afterwards. And now they have like a full-fledged all the way to the PhD level at that. And they're called Blue Quills University now. Blue Quills University. So I'm a product and alumni out of that program. So that's where I sort of like cut my teeth into developing a land-based program, a language-based program. And really just listen to the elders, you know, that's all I was doing was just listening to the elders and saying, 
you ought to teach them how to, you know, how to skin a moose or a deer or how to eat and pick berries, the different types of berries and how, how to process them and then how to uh, preserve, you know, preservation was a lot, had a lot to do with it. Um, and then, so it was all experimental, but the pioneers, I'm going to give the, to, uh, Dr. Marilyn shirt, Dr. Diane Steinauer, Dr. Sherry Chisholm, you know, there's a late, uh, my late, uh, late Vincent Steinauer and, uh, those pioneers, you know, there was Anne Majot was in there, Dr. Anne Majot. So these are indigenous women that literally went all over the world and tried to find out second language practices that were good for our languages on Turtle Island. So some went to Hawaii, some went to, uh, you know, the New Zealand, uh, the island of Long Cloud, I think is what it's called. Some went down to California, some went to BC, some went to uh, the Mohawks and their survival schools. So all of these different methods, these original women that were you know, in their doctoral program, went out and scoured the earth to find out these second language methodologies that worked for us. So they brought them, and Dr. Leona Makokis was a huge part of that, a pioneer from Sad Lake or in Kihiwan area. And then so she helped develop these, these researchers, these indigenous women researchers. And that's where I learned these, these methods. And I, I learned how to use them some of them I like, I really love some of them. Some of them you kind of like, yeah, you know, just like regular tools, you know, that you have, you're really good at them, but it's like, I like this one, you know, over this one and ceremony was in there. Technologies in there, song, contemporary and traditional, you know, those teachings of these young men, rites of passage, you know, all of these different things we're doing. Uh, medicines, you know, talk about medicines right now, COVID times, you know, now there's there's sort of like a, an upswing on let's go back to our medicines, you know, uh, preventative medicines. Let's not wait till we're sick to take those medicines, but to keep them in our diets, right? So, yeah, there's it's a real amazing time right now. And then so spending time there because of my research, starting from Blue Quills, I took on a job in Manitoba. So University College of North. I was a coordinator there for their language program, different dialect. I had to learn a diff, two different dialects going there and train my ear, train, of course, um, two different dialects on how to write and, you know, where to make sure you're not sounding like an outsider. So you had to, you know, sort of get in and uh, converse with those elders there. And what a privilege that that was, you know, I'm so happy that I said, you know, let, let's move our family over to the paw. Would you guys want it so far away? But man, um, talk about uh, expanding, you know, your, your dictionary, your grammar, and of course, the, the dialectal region. Now you can go sort of all over the place and uh, have a visit with people in those different areas. So I was on my way back and I was just basically just searching for positions and the University of Saskatchewan, uh, you know, I said yes to them and developed this program. And this program is uh, 10 classes. And uh, it's under the Department of Curriculum Studies. What I liked about this program is it's an amalgamation of the like, best practices that I've seen. Because I got to teach in Blue Quills. Because I got to teach here at the local level. And I got to teach in northern uh, Manitoba and, you know, all over Manitoba. 
I had the benefit of sort of seeing what worked and what didn't work. And there's about like 16, 17, 18 different strategies that have come up out of these uh, two decades of teaching, you know, our languages. And uh, we compiled these 10 courses. And again, you know, sometimes you're in a position where you're sort of like, I don't know if I should tell this or if I should share this. This is their stuff. But right now, because of the decline in our speakers, in our language speakers are getting older, as we all are, you know. But there, you know what's the upswing is the second language speakers, meaning the parents, the grandparents, the great-grandparents that went through residential schools, day schools, and everything else like that, the historical impacts, you know, they're pushing, they're saying now, now that there's schools available that can teach these courses, that teach Cree, that teach Anishinaabe, the Michif, you know, all these different things, Dene, you know, the upswing of parents saying, go take those, take those language programs. Go and go to that school. If it's a bilingual school, if it's a full immersion school, go there because they know the benefits. And I I spent like half a year, maybe a little longer in Ottawa. And uh, I understand the importance of bilingualism, multilingualism. That opened my eyes over there on how fortunate I was to come to grow up in, you know, in a, a community that was just, you know, we, we spoke Cree. That's all you heard. Uh, but now I'm starting to see it's reversed a little bit where the little ones are speaking a little more English, you know, a little too much, maybe possibly, you know. So we need to change our methodologies to teach little ones that are seeing and hearing nothing but English or French. And then to sort of use those second language methodologies or strategies to incorporate them to make sure that they're, you know, there's a balance of both. I'm going to predict this. Whenever the next census is going to be, you're going to have a swing like that where people are saying, yes, I actually can speak or understand two languages. And because of, you know, there's more schools, they're more available, you know, and hopefully with this Indigenous Language Act, we use that, you know, to create more schools for all from Mi'kmaq all the way to our Haida, you know, and then up north to the Gwich'in and the Slavey and Inuktitut, you know. So it'd be, it's a real, you know, it's a real good time right now to be in the business of language learning and sharing and teaching right now. I really, the energy is there. And that's why I hopped on this right away when you guys asked to do a podcast. I'm like, wow, you know, I get the talk about uh, something that I don't even see as a job. It's like a privilege and pops me out of bed and it's it's so healing. So thank you for that. Could you uh, talk a little bit about the different methodologies that you know that are successful in teaching an Indigenous language? And uh, feel free to tell us which ones are the ones you love. (laughs) Sure. Okay. Yeah, I, I will for sure. So again, going back to the program that we developed, there's some in there, like the certificate model I really like because we had a choice to, like the ones that are coming, the specific program at the U of S, these are people that have a degree already or are teachers already. So how I, what I really liked about the Manitoba program is because people will fly in and then you would teach them in a block setting. So it's seven days, they're there. And then you have to put in the amount of hours, 
But then when they take that week off, they go fly back to their flying communities or wherever they came from. And then they teach trying those methods right away on that next Monday. So this one here, following the method or those uh, the classes, if they're learning about riding, the syllabics, let's just say, they spend a whole day Saturday. And if they're taking two classes, they'll take a whole Saturday and a Sunday, seven hour days. Come Monday morning, they're testing out those methodologies. I really like that. And then uh, broke it down to seven full days, seven weekends that they give up per term, right? So every second weekend, they're in class. And plus, at the same time, they're working, right? They're actually full-time teachers, most of them. I, I really enjoy that. And again, I like that because also, if these teachers are giving up their weekends when they could be relaxing or marking, right? As, as a lot of these teachers do do, they're overworked as it is. But if they're giving seven days of their even summertime, right? And spring term, these are the people that are committed. You know, you're in the, you have the right crew. They're sacrificing family time, self-care time. You know, they could be doing other things on the weekend. And then here they're, they're in that program. And they're committed. And uh, man, uh, talk about movers and shakers. You know, you're kind of you give them, you know, the overview of are you willing to do this? And they're like, yeah, you know, so it's not work when you're when you have like minded people in a classroom like that. And you're just developing, you know, and you're innovative. Uh, you see these people and there's a mixture. You have like older speakers that are super fluent. And then you have these young teachers that are wanting the language and they're not as fluent as the old speakers the older speakers but where it balances out is when the technology is used and then all of a sudden okay these you know they kind of take a back seat and then they take the lead you know and then so you see this swing and then eventually they kind of come meet in between because it's a cohort model they have to support each other Right. They have to show support in technology or language or it's like, OK, I have a new word and I don't know. Do you know it? You know, so they're phoning each other or they're messaging each other, emailing, uh, Zooming, FaceTiming, whatever it is. But technology is definitely on our side, but um, we need to get comfortable using it. And they are, you know. So they become kind of a community themselves of uh, language support. Yeah, they do. They totally do. So, you know, you um, you had asked me to, to talk a little bit about those methodologies. So I'll go through maybe like the 10 courses. And these 10 courses, like we just finished a cohort just this past weekend. All right. Uh, back here uh, uh, at Ganyasi Culture Camps. And by the way, you hit it bang on. Ganyasi Culture Camps, people kind of look at her, you know, you're reading right. And people are like, I'm sorry, I'm going to butcher this. But you were just bang on on that. So. I appreciate uh, you know that, and then again, creating that safe place to speak our languages, right? To to hear, to pray, to sing in our languages. That's the number 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 one thing is to not to ridicule, but to, to praise when it's needed. You know, it's so motivational. It's really really amazing. So now, I guess the first class has to do with like, and I I'm in throwing the seed out there. Because we have an immersion school here that's land-based, we want to throw the seat out there to go all year round. 
And I don't know why we do this to ourselves, but somehow we've still run with that model where it's agriculture, you know, come seeding time. Let's throw the kids out there. They got a seed, you know, uh, they got a farm and nothing against agriculture because a lot of our programming has to do with gardening and canning and, you know, um, and weeding and, you know, all this uh, spring, springtime, you're already starting to put the seeds in. And so all year round, that's what I had in mind when I started writing this and developing this research because like summertime, and this come from my Lake Mushroom uh, Kapiao Siwin. His name was Harry Blackbird. We were trying to get him out to a ceremony and he was like, ah, it's cold. Or maybe I'll, I'll skip this one. But he was talking, talking in Korea because I don't want to get myself cold. And even in a fall time, he was sort of like, yeah, he would um, pick and choose sort of like depending on the weather, you know, but weather had a big thing to it because uh, he was at that age already where he could get sick, you know, uh, being outside too long or in a winter time leaving his warm house or slipping, you know, on ice. So in the summertime, that's when you see the elders out and about, right? You see them sort of dancing and singing and doing the pipes and the, the medicines and they're out. And then what do we do as Indigenous people? Our kids are schools out. <laughs> we just let them loose in the summertime and uh, and then they miss each other so we miss an opportunity to connect our i heard this at university oh our elders are professors they're knowledge keepers there are doctors there are you know there are archives and then yet i saw this you know going to school and we were missing they were we were missing and we weren't connecting them so in a way the answer would be, well, why don't we teach a little bit in the summertime, you know, and connect those elders because now they're outside. Now they want to be, it's warm, it's safe. And the birds are here, you know, the, the plants are in bloom, the medicines are, are ready, you know. So that way, if we even book like a couple of weeks in the summertime and call that school and then take a little bit longer, maybe in the springtime or, sub, or somewhere in the wintertime, and just adjust our year so we make those connections with those knowledge keepers. So that's what I had in mind, okay? So, and I'm still, I try to always put a little plug in there, here and there, right? To sink the beauty of that and to utilize that whole year cycle, right? The whole year to use that as our classroom time. And it doesn't, doesn't mean classroom being inside, you know, how beautiful that is out, out there in the summertime. Canadian summer is so beautiful. So the fall time, there's these pictures that you can use. Dr. Stephen Gray Morning, he developed this uh, ASLA, Accelerated Second Language Acquisition Method. And uh, he's an Arapaho from the Missouri area, just south of us here. It's really a, an amazing method. Some people call it Gray Morning Method. No words are involved. It's just straight pictures and kind what, of flat art style. What's it, what's it called? Uh, Accelerated Second Language Acquisition. So A-S-L-A. A-S-L-A. Okay. Uh, yeah. And Dr. Stephen Gray Morning. I like to credit him because he's really, he's really developed it. Where is he I from? The Arapaho Nation. Where is that? In the States? Yeah. Down just below Alberta there. So that's the method I, that I usually start out with. And doesn't matter what level you're at, you could be very fluent or you could be a beginner stage, you can still use those method, teaching methods. And it's uh, tactile learners really like that because uh, there's touching involved with the pictures. 
and then or or a stick or a laser beam, whatever it is, right? Uh, but it's a uh, you know there's action involved. Another thing that I like to use there is um, song. So there's you know beginner songs, morning songs, Thanksgiving songs. There's all these different songs that we have, and we have a relative here, Brian McDonald. He has like this old classic cassette tape that he put together way back when, you know, and old McDonald and Cree, you know, and all these uh, rhymes that uh, he translated them. He started using a guitar. So I classify that as contemporary music, but the old songs, those are the ones that I really, really love. And because those are, they're associated with those old teachings, right? So those are the traditional songs. They use rattles, they use drums, they use water drums, you know, those type of things. So again, just getting, hearing the input through your eyes, through your ears, and then eventually the output, you know, that's what this first method produces. In the second term, we start introducing finally writing systems. So this is like a, a working maybe closer towards the standardization of writing, a standard Roman orthography, or else SRO is what we call it. So this is, we finally introduce writing in the second class. And um, again, it's just building the layers up in the beginning with the first class, maybe building a vocabulary using pictures. Uh, no writing is involved, you know, except the teacher, of course. Uh, but then the second term, uh, you start phonetic phonetics, right? Uh, you start spelling. And the why I do that with the second one is because you have these teachers that are coming together, right? Every second week, weekend they're coming together and they can share files they can share lesson plans they can share uh themes fall themes halloween uh all the school themes that we follow in the regular school system but then we also have our our ceremonies right there must be hunting songs there must be berry picking songs there must be uh songs that we can sing to our corn um you know all these different things that we have tobacco songs possibly you know Firekeeper songs, those are the ones that we need to hold on to and share with our, our teachers. And they really, really want them and capture them. Uh, documenting these is really important, I find. And then we move on to moving. Now we're moving. Total physical response. I'm going to credit this one to the Shushwap Nation, uh, Gwich'in Nation, out of BC. Chief Atam School out of BC developed this method and they started teaching it during the summertime and they teamed up with, I'm going to say Thompson river university, one of the universities and started giving credits to teachers that are taking their summers off and going to these institution and learning TPR one and TPR two. So total physical response. Again, that has nothing to do with writing, but it has everything to do with moving your entire body. So if you want to say mitzvah, which is eat mitzvah, so you're actually doing the activity, putting on your hat, putting on your clothes, um, washing your face, washing your teeth, washing your hands. So you do this all in a language, getting up, sitting down, moving forward, moving backwards, turning around, sitting back down, right? So these are activities that everybody's doing, moving. And I like that one because the brain is just moving, you know, the neurons are just firing. And then you have to do all this movement, moving up and down, moving, running, dancing. And uh, what happens is the output, you're rewiring the brain. 
right? It's firing all hemispheres, all parts of the brain are firing and re you're rewiring and you're looking and then you're hearing. So the rote learning is actually still in there and uh, you're hearing, you're hearing, you're hearing, but then when it's your turn to do this movement, you're, you know, you have to do it and you're learning as a group and then you sit down and you're still hearing it because the, the circle or the square, I guess, is, is how it's structured. You're learning by doing, but then you're learning by seeing as well. So I really like like that method. So that's the TPR method. It seems like and it the, helps take out some of the abstraction. Oh, it you does. Know, yeah, the, language, do. the, the physical thing. Yeah, yeah. You're just not sitting back and writing. There's it's all action that one. Yeah, and burning chemicals, right? Chemicals that could be just sort of like you know we're sitting down a little too much maybe and. You're getting active and you're burning off, uh, you know, the the negative chemicals and balancing, you know, releasing good endorphins, you know. Yeah, yeah it gives so. you a visual of what it might be rather than you just you don't just hear the word. You actually see uh, something associated with it. it might make a stronger connection, maybe. Oh, yeah, totally does. Yeah. Uh, and, and it sticks. I've seen elders really coming back to their language and saying, hey, I remember that word, you know. Again, hand talk is another one too. You know, you, you see these elders sort of using their hands still to carry over from that original American Indian sign language, right? So you have people using their, as they're telling their stories, you know, I shot that thing twice, you know, and uh, it was a big moose. And then, then this bear came along, you know, so you can do that all in a language. And that's how we did commerce back in the day, right? We, if I couldn't, understand uh, a Cheyenne or, uh, you know, somebody else, one of our relatives when we got together and then we had the sign language and they're like, okay, yeah, now we can do business. Now we can do some trade, you know? So again, it's part of our history. Why not bring that back? The Nakotas are doing amazing things with sign language. You can Google them. There's a couple of books out there. The Smithsonian put out a couple of books that are really helpful but hand talk, you know, that you can Google hand talk and those will come up. I group that with um, TPR, that hand talk. And then, of course, drama, right? I can't say enough about drama, like scenarios, putting together, you know, different areas like, okay, here's another one. And I like this one. Let's go to Tim Hortons, right? It's such a Canadian thing. So I'm like, but this is pre-Tim Hortons, all right? This is not Tim Hortons over there. And then so we go in there and then you ask, okay, what do you want? And then they, they have to come up with words like sandwich, which is like, that was a that was a struggle because we never had sandwiches, right? They're like, what do you call a sandwich? So you call the elders, what would you call a sandwich? So they call each other and you, you have a real <laughs> kind of funny, and then a donut, right? Uh, what the heck you call a donut, you know? And it's really funny because it, it's almost like, sounds like a swear just about. And then, you know, so it's really comical, fun, and uh, very interactive. And we tease each other. What? That's what you would call a donut, you know? So again, 12 donuts. Okay. Uh, you want six. And then, then you're like, okay, we want uh, one cream sugar, extra large coffee. And she wants a tea. And so it's kind of like a, the scenario, right? really fun one so making it fun but realistic right because everybody you know not maybe if it's a starbucks stop it's a starbucks stop but if it's a 
it's a Tim Hortons stop. It's a Tim Hortons, you know, you do it all in language and you're asking your passengers what they want. Is it all like uh, when, you, when you do this, you go and make your order, you, you got to say it in Cree in the language. That oh, yeah. You're directing? That's the <laughs> yeah. yeah. Because I don't yeah, know, yeah. I, I, I'm Korean, I don't even think there's a word for sandwich or donut, you know. We would just say donut or sandwich. <laughs> Very interesting. Yeah, you have a menu. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, that'd be interesting. <laughs> it's like, a lot of fun. Yeah. Very interesting. Yeah. And, you know and what? It helps uh, take away inhibition. Oh, it totally does. Yeah, because like you're really trying to think of these words right these morphemes to put together you know it was started getting funnier and funnier because you have large you have extra large but then you have what's a double double what's a triple triple and then uh hopefully we get some exposure because we're bragging about uh, tim hortons here right but there's a four by four you know what the heck you know and then there's a, a gretzky they call it a, a nine sugar nine cream <laughs> like what so it was kind of uh it was very entertaining you know um here's uh here's a real cool one that came up so we what we do is we'll throw in banking terms after we were doing the scenario somebody had to pay so we had we was like uh who's got cash right and then they're like oh but i have this card i'm like card okay so what do you call a card? What do you call a debit card? What do you call a credit card? What do you call a check? What do you call an e-transfer? <laughs> uh, what about the ATM, right? So all of these banking terms were were coming about. So finances, you know, commerce, talking about that uh, e-pay, you know, or tapping, even tapping that little card. You don't even press your buttons anymore. You just tap it and um, I guess the words so we started fooling around with the words and translating again and is it was one it's kind of like uh, hitting it you know a little, a little tap so little cute little things like that that make sense but you don't want them long words right you want to make sure that they're bite size but they make sense and uh, they're usable right? for them to catch of course that's interesting because you know there's a lot of uh, words that are are new since uh, I guess into within the last, especially within the last fifty years, the technology. Um, there's so many words that never really existed that I never knew of anywhere. Like you're talking about banking words, you know, even medical terms, computer terms. You know, all these uh, new words that are coming out through. But yeah, so it's, I find uh, what you're talking about very, very fascinating and very interesting. So, uh, Andrew, do you got any other questions? I'm sure you have a few more. Uh, uh, so, yeah, you were you were going through the different courses, how the certificate unfolds. Love to hear more. I uh, will let you know that I am very interested in the the root word method and uh, uh, your your digital approach and the pronunciation. But all of it is uh, obviously worth hearing. Yeah, the, you know the root word method. Where that came from was, uh, I think, Miracle, a last name, Miracle. Uh, he did, Brian, yes, Brian. He did a presentation way back when, and then one, I think, Marilyn Shirt, Dr. Marilyn Shirt, listened or contacted him. And then there was also another, another lady from out that way, uh, and then she did Quim. And um, because I haven't talked about them for a little while, but... Uh, 
she was a, a nun, but she was Mohawk. And she developed a picture window inductive model from out that way too, out east. And her name will come up anyways. But Brian Miracle did this uh, presentation and used color coding because of we talk in word sentences. So that's where the root word method came. Now, like a lot of people will not credit the, uh, because of the historical impacts, but priests, the Oblites did amazing things with uh, grammar and learning the words and learning how the grammar, the word structure is in, in most of our indigenous languages. And they had to communicate. So they had to really be quick studies on learning how to speak and talk to the, the leaders, to talk to the elders, to talk to people, right? So the Oblites did really amazing things with uh, root words, knowing which root words went where, and then also the termination patterns. And uh, like people like Father Lacombe, one, you know, and then uh, a good friend of ours, like uh, Steve Andreas, who's um, just a beautiful speaker. And uh, he introduced us to people like Father Vandersteen and uh, and then, of course, his work with Blue Quills. And he they have a really amazing, probably the best uh, root word method course that's out there is at Blue Quills. And um, and it was because of those sort of oblites documenting and becoming experts in the language and uh, really understanding how to communicate. So I really like them because they documented the, the old words that you don't hear now that could be used today to develop, uh, you know, words just like uh, ring light, right? All the YouTubers know what, what I'm talking about. So the people that are on YouTube, they have these phones and then they have a ring light to make sure that their faces are, you know, they're lit up. So this ring light, I'm like, okay, I, I, and I put this on Simon says, which is a good, good buddy of mine, good uh, friend of mine, um, uh, Simon bird. He has a, a Facebook page called Simon says. So I throw this out there and I'm like, okay, our classroom, the Indigenous Language Certificate Program students, we come up with these words. And then also the Weed Institute, which is out of Winnipeg, uh, we, we get together Tuesday evenings to, to share words. But we're using technology. Uh, we're using, you know, all these, all these things that are out there. But ring light comes up. And then all of a sudden, we're like, okay, what would you call it? So, kawasaga waskuchi is what we what we come up with. is um, the round light that lights up everything. That's small. It's diminutive. It's not a big light. It's just a small little light. And then, so we throw it on there, and uh, we try to figure out, okay, what are the other speakers saying? You know, is, does this meet the approval? And then the other one was social network. You know, uh, th this is Snapchat. This is all the different apps that are out there and try to figure out what would you call that, right? So I think uh, we found an old word for newspaper, and then we put in uh, I think is what we ended up coming up with, but it's like the fascinating or, or very super fast little newspaper, right? So again, Wayne Jackson has uh, Cree Word of the Day, um, that's on Facebook. There's like, I'm going to probably say 30,000 members, maybe way more, maybe I'm way off, but it's like really high in both uh, platforms. 
So it's a good place for people to read, right? To sort of say, oh, okay, this is this could work. This may be a better version. But again, we need new uh, words, but we also need those old, old dictionaries that those original people started documenting to possibly make, you know, a laptop or a smart tablet, right? But again, that's one course in itself. That's using technology and language learning, digital stories, right? Having YouTube channels and creating uh, YouTubers, right? People subscribe. And uh, I got that one from the French uh, speakers. And it was an immersion school in Saskatchewan, in Saskatoon. And I was so fascinated because all the students were talking French to her. And uh, I'm like, well, what do you do for back home? You know, like when they go back home after school and she's like, why? Well, I'm a YouTuber. I have a channel and I make the parents uh, log in and subscribe to my channel. And then I teach the parents how to teach and involve their children to speak French. So I'm like, that's brilliant. How come we're not doing that? So again, Hopefully, this will inspire more YouTubers because the children, you know, if you can get them hooked, which they are, you don't even have to do it because there's advertisers have it figured out, but they, you know, make them interesting and then have them go through the lessons with their parents or grandparents or their caregivers, right? So little strategies like that, not to shy away from technology, because that's how we're connecting right now in this COVID times, right? It's like using FaceTime, using podcasts and using websites or zoom um skype you know all these different things that we're using music and song i went through that dancing right all the different dances that we have and then there was this one here i wanted to point out which is one that we finished there's an identity and um higher learning class as well to privilege our elders there's an ancestral knowledge that they carry the, tr- the privilege knowledge keepers that sort of even had to go underground for so long to give them that authority to say you know you did a really good job and we want to learn and we value everything that you carry you know and we understand how hard it is or how how hard it was to carry that responsibility so again that's a whole class in itself guest speakers um, knowledge keepers pipe carriers song keepers and so on and then at the end after all of these different methods are taught to these students, and then, and I know there's more, we do a, a camp, and it's either a winter camp or a summer camp, and it's immersion camp. They stay here for four to five days, and they do land-based activities. This We just had a winter camp. They dog sledded. Um, they ice fished. They made and sewed beaver mitts, like the most beautiful mitts that I've ever seen. Like they put them together in four days. And then they did some snaring and then they had our immersion students. So they had to teach lessons to these students. So, and then it went like that, you know, it was so fast. And then it was like last day or like, well, yeah, that was it. So that, that's kind of like the, the program in a nutshell. And um, again, in two years, every year you take five classes and then the very last class you get the, it's a pass or fail mark. It's not, you know, I'm not there really they've done the hard work i've known you know uh, they've uh, sacrificed summers they've sacrificed weekends so I, it's really easy to mark that one they just go through what they've been doing all along and uh, it's i call it like a real a staycation really you know um to hang out with our knowledge keepers and our, our 
to do things that our ancestors did, right? And how are the, uh, so I want to say student teachers, but they're, I think a lot of them are actually teachers rather than studying to become teachers. How are they responding to the program? I've been really blessed with having great teachers. I'm going to say teachers, but they're students, right? They never disappoint. There's no disappointment. Like there's so many innovative people that have their own ideas. And then if you can allow space for them to grow and develop their programming, there's this one friend of ours and, and she's alumni. She does like repeat after me, you know, type in Julia Ouellette. She does that, you know, on her own. I know she has a following and I promote her as much as I can as well. And then we have another graduate that started Cree-immersion, two of them actually, Patricia Alexander, who was the vice principal slash teacher, and then Matilda Lewis, who was the director principal, starting our own our own immersion programming here and combining Magosaregan and Minnesotan Sukskawaisis and making an immersion school out of that, right? So again, all there's lots of activity that's happening all over the place, but it's also to elevate those students that work that. Um, you know, that we dreamt of way back when. Remember, it's good to talk about these things. We weren't allowed to speak our languages. A lot of them, you know, the, the, a lot of our relatives never made it home from those schools. They weren't even allowed to go to wakes or a funeral next door, you know, the past system. Uh, Office of the Treaty Commissioner in Saskatoon, they're doing amazing things on treaty and inherent rights. FSIN, our local provincial chiefs, they're doing engagements right now on what they think uh, education should look like, right? So you hear elders talk about them and there's emotion involved. And if there was, uh, and this is another thing, if there's no emotion involved, it's sort of like, um, maybe try something else, but you know, we're emotional people. And you know, there's ups and downs of course, but to understand how there's so many different levels of healing, Trauma's involved, right? So trauma work needs to be in there. Trauma research should be in there. How to use our smudges, how to use our teas, how to, you know, how to adjust maybe our diets. So it's all inclusive. It's a real holistic and talk about lifelong learning. You know, we can't do this together. We have to share these. We can't be so tight with our information. We need, we need to share right now. You know, we need to use our hearts. We need the best practices. You know, I'm I'm going to be listening to your podcasts and I want to listen to those other people that are doing similar types of work and hear their passion and get that motivation, you know, and to continue gaining people as we move along and forward, right? Mm-hmm. Well, you know, you packed a lot into that one hour. It's just incredible how much information you have provided for us. We're going to have to go back for sure and uh, re-listen to to this podcast and, and try and contact some of these places that you've mentioned, people as well. The, we're coming to the end of this podcast. Andrew, do you have any any final questions you want to ask Kevin? Well, I would actually, uh, if you um, have anything to recommend in terms of, like, I would say listening to what you're talking about for the certificate, it was kind of a, uh, a recognition of all of this other effort that had gone on before to figure out what works in an Indigenous language context. 
and then build a program that could support these things that work. And so uh, just for, for people who might be listening, who are interested in creating something that can really help boost teacher support in their area, what would you recommend for trying to build uh, something similar that makes sense for their region, their area? Last year, the Translation Bureau of Canada uh, had asked me to sort of like take a, a really good snapshot of what's going on all, all across the nation. Uh, language work, MAP, a master apprentice program. Uh, I'd like to give knowledge to, to their work there. And also Nor Arctic College. They really opened my eyes in terms of having work for translators in healthcare and translation uh, availability for law in courts, speaking for people, and then also uh, early childhood education, developing, you know, language programming. University of Blue Quills, I also like to uh, acknowledge them as well. And then uh, in Alberta, YTC, Muscogee College, all those First Nation colleges in all over Alberta, that's a good place to go. Saskatchewan Indian Cultural Center or SICC, the Saskatchewan Indigenous Cultural Center is what it's known as today. That's a good place to, to contact people. And then in Manitoba, they have MF NERC, Manitoba Education First Nations Education Center. That's a good place. And then uh, out east as well, there's so, so many good places out there, Six Nations, the language schools, the survival schools out there. And then Mi'kmaq uh, out that way, they also have a really good program in terms of an ed education act. So again, talking about developing our own acts, our own jurisdiction, declarations, uh, MOUs, uh, self-government agreements, just like the Yukon have, right? So again, we're, we're starting to talk in that area of nation to nation and uh, structuring our, our governance systems, uh, you know, and developing our own ministries, our own language ministries, having our own commissioners, language commissioners in our own territories, right? Uh, so there's lots of work in this, but we just have to start making noise and start researching. I always say there's enough Indigenous people out there that want to come home. Uh, why don't we utilize them to benefit our own people, right? So Indigenous people, uh, working for Indigenous people to benefit Indigenous people. So again, we're podcast. this podcast is a tribute to that. The, this is the proof, right? Uh, so again, uh, great work to, you know, to your office and the mandates that you have that you read at the beginning of this. Yeah, again, this is, we need more people, you know, like like you, more more teachers out there uh, and more leaders that are speaking our languages and not being shy. There's no reason to be shy and don't ridicule, don't laugh, don't, you know, not to look down at it, but it's flipped around now. Now people are wanting that wisdom, you know, that our languages carry. Okay. Thank you very much. Thank you. Uh, very well said. You are a wealth of knowledge, and uh, we may be uh, we'll most likely be reaching out to you again, Kevin, uh, to talk to you more about uh, your resources and contacts that you have. Uh, I want to thank you on behalf of the Legacy Hope Foundation, the Languages Podcast Project, for your contribution to your assistance. So much good, good, excellent information you provide to us today, and I want to thank you again. 
I wish you all the best in what you do. I'm sure we're going to be connecting again sometime in the near future. Thank you. Oh, thank you. Thank you.